Welcome to Marvel by the Month, the podcast that takes you through the history of Marvel Comics one month at a time. In this episode, that month is November 1969. My name is Brian Stratton. And mine is Rob Milne. Rob, we have a great month of comics to be talking about with some absolutely huge debuts. Well, I mean, the biggest debuts, really. Oh, the stars yeah. of the Marvel Universe. Not since 1961, perhaps, have we seen uh, such luminaries light up the sky. <laughs> luminaries such as... The Zodiac. Which does, that that fits lighting up the sky, so, you know. True. Um, there true. you go. Also on, on theme, Sunfire. <laughs> He's like, yeah, it's the sun. It's on fire. Uh, yeah. Um, we also have uh, all the way from Down Under, uh, we have the Kangaroo joining the Marvel <laughs> Universe. And perhaps one of the greatest creations to come out of uh, late period Fantastic Four, the Monocle. Yeah, the biggest villain you've never heard of. Yeah. Um, Sunfire, I would argue, is an actual thing. <laughs> the oh, rest sure. Of yeah, these. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I feel like the Zodiac shows up time and time again. Um, it's like if you if your heroes need 12 guys to beat up, uh, the Zodiac yeah. is, is always ready to take that job. And that key has been uh, a MacGuffin in some storylines, at least that I can recall into the 2000s, you know, so... For sure. It happens. Yep, yep. They are, uh, I mean, it's like Marvel's version of the Royal Flesh Gang, uh, except there's <laughs> seven more of them. So yeah, automatically just better. Volume yep. is better. Mm-hmm. Um, we also have a couple of great guests joining us a little later in the show. Uh, Will and Kevin Hines from the Screw It, We're Just Gonna Talk About Comics podcast. I'm gonna say that again because I'm like 90% certain that we don't say it for the first five minutes that they're on the show. <laughs> but they are from the very, very funny Screw It, We're Just Gonna Talk About Comics podcast, which I absolutely recommend. If you like this show, uh, you're probably already aware of their show. Uh, and if you're not, you should definitely treat yourself. Um, yeah, they're recently uh, covering the Claremont X-Men run, uh, including the introduction of Alpha Flight. So, you yes. know how important that is to me. Um, it's it's really, it's the uh, the fulcrum around which the entire Marvel Universe uh, revolves uh, mm-hmm. in your world. Other than the monocle, of course. But right. we'll get to that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're, uh, they're, they're, and there's there's such funny guys. They are, they are UCB trained comedians. Um and uh, yeah, it's just they do such a great show uh, and we had such, such a good time with them. Um, so very excited to uh, have you check that out. Um, but of course, uh, before we talk about the Marvel Comics of November 1969, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the historical context of November 1969. Uh, Rob, 
Why didn't you lead us into uh, what was going on in November 1969? Yes, we'll start off with Tricky Dick. Uh, on the 3rd of November, U.S. President Richard Nixon addressed the nation on television and radio to announce his plans to end American involvement in the Vietnam War. Uh, Nixon rejected immediately removing all troops, framing that option as the first defeat in our nation's history that would result in a collapse of confidence in American leadership, not only in Asia, but throughout the world. Huh, that sounds weirdly reminiscent of headlines lately, too. But Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, Nixon instead reiterated his plan for Vietnamization, which or Vietnamization, depending on how you like to pronounce that, you know, uh, portmanteau, but it, the uh, complete withdrawal of all U.S. combat ground forces and their replacement by South Vietnamese forces on an orderly scheduled timetable, but added that he did not intend to announce details of the timetable. It, it could have been, uh, it's possible that it's a very broad timetable. Um, so uh, <laughs> in closing, he described the people who would support his plan for a drawdown as the great silent majority of my fellow Americans, in contrast to a vocal minority of protesters, which if their will prevailed over reason and the will of the majority would mean that the United States would have no future as a free society. Yeah. So so that's where we get those fun terms, everybody. Yeah. yeah. So so we've got uh, let's see, we have a, a war that's going badly with no uh, clear plan for victory um, or really defined, uh, really end state of the thing. We are just kind of stuck in this situation, uh, and it's just going on and on and on, and we're just like losing a trickle of American lives and, of course, Vietnamese lives. Uh, like, you know, it's just a tremendous cost of of money and time and personnel and material. And, uh, and then we have, uh, a president who's like, well, we're just going to deal with this by, we're going to train up the local folks. Uh, and then we're going to pull our forces back, but we're not going to tell you exactly when we're going to do that. <laughs> um, and, uh, if you don't agree with me, you're an enemy of America. Um, right. So, and- it is and, like and keeping the timetable silent can maybe just push that out to somebody else's administration. Right. Maybe. Hmm? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um <laughs> yeah, I mean it really does sound like honestly the last 20 years of uh, of uh, recent foreign policy. So mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Can you take us somewhere, um, a little bit nicer maybe in your history context? Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I can, I can take you, uh, to, uh, maybe one of the happiest places in the world in 1969. Uh, it's a little place called Sesame street, uh, which aired its first episode on the national educational television network, which was the predecessor to the public broadcasting system. Rick Dubrow of UPI said that this gentle, witty series has the sound and feel of people who know and love children, not those whose idea is to exploit them. Um, So, yeah, we were raised on uh, Sesame Street. We turned out fair to Midland. Yeah, or or terrible, depending on how you look at it. But, you know. I, I don't think, blame Sesame Street for that. Yeah, though. that's that's Electric Company's fault. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, on the 13th of November, um, production of the Five Cent Hershey Bar was discontinued by America's largest chocolate manufacturer as a result of the rising costs of cocoa beans. Um, a statement by the Hershey Company said that the decision to discontinue the nickel bar had been made by its board of directors 
Quote, only after much deliberation because of the important place these bars have held with its customers and the consumer throughout the history of the company. You know, a lot of people thought that the Manson family murders was where, you know, the American naivete ended uh, or, you know, perhaps the quagmire of Vietnam. But really, I think when you look at it, it was when Hershey bars started costing more uh, than a nickel. That's when America's innocence was truly lost. Yeah. I don't think the cocoa necessarily improved, but um, not that I <laughs> don't eat them, but uh, it's, uh, you know. I don't even know how much cocoa there is in any of those anymore. I, I don't know if they're technically allowed to call them chocolate bars. Um, but <laughs> Choc- chocolatey bars. <laughs> <laughs> chocolate flavored bars. Uh, on the 15th of November, 1969, the first Wendy's old-fashioned hamburger restaurant was opened as businessman Dave Thomas began business in downtown Columbus, Ohio. Wendy was Thomas's eight-year-old daughter, Melinda Wendy Thomas, who also served as the model for the smiling little girl on the restaurant's sign and logo. Despite having a higher price for its freshly cooked, made-to-order square hamburgers, the restaurant was so popular that it began making a profit by the end of the year. So there you go. Wendy's, uh, American Institution, comes into being uh, November 1969. Um, I am just going to uh, say that perhaps... For a lot of reasons, maybe health and otherwise, you may not want to be uh, consuming food from Wendy's these days. Um, if you want another reason uh, not to do it, um, Google Wendy's tomato supply. Um, and uh, yeah, they 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 are in, potentially engaged in some shady business practices. Oh man! Well, yeah. I mean, I know that the uh, the the COVID apocalypse has made um, a lot of things scarce in the supply chains of bigger. Uh, like fast food restaurants, but, um, yep. but I, I will need to find out more about this, this tomato scandal. We're going to um, blow the lid off this thing. <laughs> you heard it here first. Uh, actually not first at all. <laughs> Hard hitting fast food based journalism. Look out doughboys. We're coming for your spot. <laughs> oh man. Um, let's go to space, uh, space people, uh, on the, uh, 19th of November, Apollo 12 astronauts Pete Conrad and Alan Bean landed the lunar module Intrepid at the northern edge of the crater Mare Cognitum, um, becoming the third and fourth humans to reach the surface of the moon. Uh, Richard F. Gordon remained in orbit, piloting the mothership Yankee Clipper. A plan to televise live color images from the moon was ruined after Bean accidentally pointed the camera at the sun, (laughs) burning out the imaging tube. Oh, Bean. Bean. Classic Bean. <laughs> so I I found it kind of amazing. Like, I wanted to throw this in there. That So this is the second time humans go to the moon. Honestly, and this is, I'm sure, you know, a lot of this falls on my ignorance. But, like, I did not recognize any of these names. I did not recognize the names of the vessels. Uh, this was, like, just, it, it it's kind of shocking to me, like, you obviously have, you know, the first moon landing being this tremendously important global news story, you know, and everyone involved in any capacity was just like the stuff of legend from then right. on. Ticker and, tape parades, the whole, yeah, keys right. to the city, whatever. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But then, you know, you have, you know, Apollo 12 going up not long after, like within the same year, right? Yeah. Or, yeah. Oh, yeah. Just months. Um, yeah. And, uh, I mean, I assume it was probably a big deal at the time, but just like how it has, you know, how it has survived through history, like 
Yeah, the silver medal of history is mm. it tarnishes fast. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so let's see. Uh, uh, the day after that, uh, on the twentieth of November, the occupation of Alcatraz for a year and a half began. Two weeks after a symbolic claim on the California island at about five in the morning, as the first of five boatloads of American Indians of various tribes arrived and took up residence. In all, 78 people arrived for the first occupation and set up camps. Claiming the island from the U.S. government based on a 19th century land treaty, the group announced that it would stay indefinitely. This occupation would continue until June 11th, 1971, almost two years. Wow. Uh, with only 15 occupiers remaining by then, the group would be taken into custody by the United States Marshals and the U.S. Coast Guard. Kind of crazy uh, piece of American history that I I guess I was dimly aware of, but I didn't really know um, all that much about. Yeah, just a couple of years ago, I saw, and, I, and it, of course, because we're talking on our podcast, I can't remember the name of it, but I saw a documentary about this. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, it's it's at least there's this history of protest. You know, it's a little thing that happens here in this country, um, and this is a, a big milestone um, for for one of the movements and to understand what happened during yeah. it during the you know late 60s early 70s yes i also want to say i apologize if i used any terminology that is not preferred uh i am an ignorant person who doesn't have a ton of time for research and uh i mostly just grabbed this off wikipedia so uh if there's a better way to say it please write in and let me know yeah definitely um i know it's a it's a moving target and it's not our target to make so you know yeah um, um on November 21st, 1969, Skynet One, uh, the United Kingdom's <laughs> first military communication satellite, was launched into outer space from Cape Kennedy in the United States. Um, did you know there was an actual Skynet satellite? I I felt like I maybe did. I've been le- reading a lot of the EC Weird Science uh, comics, so uh, not that that Skynet would be mentioned in the 50s, but I feel like that's a name they would have made up in those comics. Uh, comics for this so um yeah i don't i didn't recall that but the fact that it's a military communication satellite only makes it more dark um yeah we'll we'll keep an eye on skynet and yeah <laughs> see what happens i wonder there. i want to know if skynet's still cruising around um it entered its designated orbit three days later to begin service so mm-hmm. um we can only assume it's up there gaining sentience um yeah yeah and on that very same day and i don't think this uh, was a coincidence uh, on the same day that Skynet one uh, began uh, its designated orbit. Uh, the United States and the Soviet Union both signaled their joint ratification of the treaty on the non-proliferation of nuclear weapons and the simultaneous signing of the document in both nations. Um, so they're like, okay, well, Skynet's in orbit now. We should probably dial down the number of nukes we have. <laughs> the UK has a, a soon to be sentient overlord so we can probably just let that run things um <laughs> speaking of the uk uh beatles by the month um november 25th 1969 john lennon returned his mbe the british empire medal uh to protest the british government's involvement in the nigerian civil war so he did not take the title sir um, yep <laughs> He's just regular old John. Just John. Yeah. Yep. Well, there you go. That's uh, a glimpse into what November 1969 was like. We're going to take a break. Uh, When we come back, we're going to be back with the Heinz Brothers right here on Marvel by the Month. (laughs) 
Hey there, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Marvel by the Month. We had such a blast recording it with the Heinz brothers. Uh, But I have to tell you, if you are listening to this message, then you are missing out on more than half an hour of hilarity. Um, It may even be more than that. I haven't edited the episode yet. So, um, you know, we always have to trim it down uh, a little bit to make sure that um, we're not bombarding the public feed with uh, just hours of our nonsense. Um, But uh, if you like hours of our nonsense, there's one way to get it. Uh, and that's to support us for just four bucks a month at patreon.com slash Marvel by the month to get ex- access to the extended version of this episode and so much more. Yeah. And since we launched our Patreon, almost every episode that features a guest also has an extended version of that episode on our super secret bonus feed with a bunch of additional content. So if you want to hear even more from folks like Tom Brevoort, Mike Allred, Elliot Kalin, Chelsea Kane, Jordan Morris, and Clint McElroy, just head to patreon.com slash Marvel by the month. And don't forget those Heinz brothers. They are so funny. And I know you're going to want to hear the rest of this episode. And I think they'd want you to hear the rest of this episode. Oh, they would definitely want you to do that. Let's just say uh, our Patreon is officially endorsed by the Heinz brothers. Even though it definitely isn't. Yeah, but the odds of them hearing this are astronomically low. So let's just roll those legal dice and see what happens. Done. Uh, So each and every week, Patreon subscribers get additional content you can't hear anywhere else. Sign up at patreon.com slash Marvel by the month to instantly get access to all of our past, present and future subscriber exclusive content. All right. Welcome back to Marvel by the month. Our guests this week are a pair of our favorite podcasters. They are brothers. They are sort of comedians. And they are the only two guys who host a podcast about a thing they like. Will and Kevin Hines, thank you so much for joining us on Marvel by the Month. Thanks for having us. Uh, This is Kevin Hines speaking first. This is Will Hines sounding, I bet you, similar. (laughs) Yeah. If you don't pay close attention, you will lose track of which is which. Guaranteed. We can see you in the Zoom call. We can verify they are two different people. It's not just (laughs) one guy doing a bit. Um, One guy doing a slight character. (laughs) (laughs) So I I have to ask, what is it like being the only two guys who host a podcast about a thing they like? So much pressure. (laughs) You know, people people come to us and they're like, you're representing a podcast hosted by two guys talking about something they like. What is it? You know, you represent that whole aspect of society. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's nice. I mean, it's I think it's easier than all the people do podcasts about things they dislike. Um, Mm -hmm. I find that easier. Just in, in many ways, because we like it. Yeah, sure, you know? sure. Yeah, I, I, I got to say, like honestly, I was ready to be offended by that claim. Uh, but you know, Rob and I have read nearly every Marvel superhero comic from the 1960s, and honestly, by this point, like we are in November of 1969, I'm not sure I can claim that we are doing a podcast about a thing we <laughs> absolutely love anymore. <laughs> Is that true, though? Is that true, though? Your, your opinion of have, has your opinion of old Marvel in general changed? Like, I assume you were like sentimentally looking forward to doing this when you started the project. Yeah. And then it became more about what Larry Lieber issue we were going to make fun of, you know, um, yeah. it, it, but we still love it. It's just that it, we understood that all the high points and all the nostalgia are the annuals we've read and the collections you have of the first 10 or something like Spider-Man, you know, Ditko's Spider-Man. And then yeah. you get into the weeds of 
Fantastic Four number 90 something. And uh, yeah, and it's not quite as uh, as glamorous as it seemed before that. It was, <laughs> it's like watching the old episodes of SNL uh, from the original cast that have been lauded as amazing. But if you watch an actual full episode, you'll see total dud sketches, <laughs> really weird, long mistakes. In addition to like some famous character that's still beloved or something. Yep. Right. It's yeah. It is that we are living that now and uh, not the uh, the greatest book club we ever invented that someone I, has surely invented. Yeah. So I read the entire month that was on Marvel Unlimited, which is basically everything but like the Millie the model and 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 spinoffs mm-hmm. uh, and, and, <laughs> and Chili Millie's rival. Yeah. <laughs> There's three books. There's in three the Millie, Millie the model books this month. Yeah. Oh yeah. She's it's taken over. Like, that is and like they're a, just straight up Archie copies, right? Mm-hmm. There's like a Batman level uh, impact on the Marvel universe of this era. <laughs> uh, but like this era of Marvel, like I didn't read like Will and I had reprints of like the really original stuff. And then it wasn't until like essentials that we read later FF stuff or later Spider-Man stuff. And so this era is sort of like this weird era that is like the end of the Stan Lee. Yeah writing Mm -hmm. everything he's not even writing everything anymore and it is such a almost a black hole to me that i'm like oh i love stanley's era i love that stuff but i really haven't read more than half of it like the second half Mm -hmm. where he's writing or there's more books and stuff it's just like that stuff i haven't read and i read it for this and maybe this is too early to say it i found it fun yeah but i found it fun in a way where i was like oh would i enjoy these issues month in month out and i don't think i would like uh like them that way they were fun as like to drop in on for, <laughs> for a single month <laughs> and and then like my other immediate thought was how uh maybe i should save this for the end but i got a little sad because <laughs> uh, like the magic of those early issues is gone mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like these are still good like spider-man and ff in particular i still really enjoyed sure um yeah and maybe that's because it's you know the art yeah. was really good. I mean, the yeah. Kirby art in FF, I don't know, yeah. it's still really strong. Yeah. But there's something about like the fact that like, oh, the the uh, the panels are getting bigger. I know Kirby's about to leave. I know Ditko's been gone a while. Roy Thomas is taking over stuff. Stan Lee is sort of checking out from writing more and more. Like he's bare. I think he is not that involved with the scripting at all. Whatever scripting he did has become just dialoguing. Yes, and, or bad, and, and like, yeah, or bad, <laughs> and so it's just like, oh yeah, there's still good stuff in here, but like, the 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 also, and I'm jumping around, but it like makes me think of lots of things, like when it's small and just starting out and it's successful, it's like, oh, this is exciting. Stan and Kirby and Ditko and uh, Don Hack even like they were just like, oh, I can't believe this is working. Let's this is right, so fun. Right. And now it's bigger and it's like a job. And like, oh, why is it well, now? Why aren't they selling more? Like, why now? Why yeah. do we have to cut costs by drawing on smaller paper? Right, right. It's sort of sad to think like, yeah, now you're in the reality of it that it's that this is your you've plateaued a little bit, mm-hmm. and you're going to be like this for a while. Yeah, <laughs> yep. Yeah, we started well, I, this podcast uh, with uh, we were so excited, and then we. Um, we realized, you know, like Kirby's already in California now. He's like mailing his art across the country for the issues that he's drawing. 
Um, I mean, he is a year away from leaving, right? Yeah. At this point, yeah, he's yeah, already even, yeah. making mm-hmm. the deal with DC. You know, he's working on that stuff, and uh, and Stan Lee is just pitching TV, and um, and it's like we got we got really sad when we started this season of the podcast because we knew we were going to end with this. But uh, now, thanks for having us on this season. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're welcome. We, we wanted to bring it's you in for the to have you downer. Share the pain. Yeah. yeah. But we're getting uh, now. We're excited about the monsters and all the goofiness that's about to happen. Yeah. Uh, going yeah. into the seventies. I mean, yeah. I haven't read a lot of the Steve Gerber stuff, which is sort of like the next cool thing that happens. Um, probably. Uh, it's very weird because like to me it's like uh, the original 60s stuff and then the shooter era mm-hmm. right right uh, and everything yeah. in between is sort of like what i've read some of it is good and a lot of it isn't and i haven't read that much of it to begin with but yeah so i uh, i think i don't even think we've mentioned the name of your podcast yet but it, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like we should probably get that in there. that's the sort of promotion <laughs> that we, <laughs> are, we would do for ourselves yeah we're and, masters of it and that, yeah. that's the competence we bring to the table um but yeah uh the show uh is is called screw it we're just going to talk about comics it's just a fantastic uh comics podcast you guys figured out the secret to how to do a comics podcast which is uh just focus on the comics that you actually enjoy reading um, <laughs> which is awesome um so like you yeah I, I think you mentioned uh kevin that you uh you you read the all the all the lee kirby ffs that was like one of <laughs> yeah. the seasons you did yeah, yeah and then you yeah. did all the ditko uh spideys yeah. as well right that's right yeah the first thing we did was the ditko spider-mans um and that was going to be it i think at one point right we were going to be just one and done our podcast was originally called screw we're just going to talk about spider-man <laughs> and um but we enjoyed it so much that we're like oh we want to keep going and we do like Spider-Man a lot and could could have done, but we're like, no, we just selfishly wanted to broaden it so we could talk about other stuff that we loved. Um, so we we changed the title to Screw It. We're just going to talk about comics. And I mean, honestly, it's really loose. Like, yeah, generally speaking, we talk about comics we've already read that we love. But now we're starting to have hit our main ones. There's, we still have some left, but we're willing to kind of branch out to anything that interests us. I think, right, Kevin? I mean, like we sort yeah. of talk, we sort of talk every time we're about to finish up a batch and be like, what should we do next? And it's yeah. a mixture of stuff we read as kids, stuff we read as adults, stuff only one of us likes. The our other one previous maybe, season yeah. was just one that our listeners sort of demanded Will read, which was the uh, uh, Superior Spider-Man series, which I had read and, and enjoyed a lot. Will had never even... No. Never even glanced at him when he walks by him on the shelf. No, I would refuse. Turn my nose up. Uh, and so we read that, and uh, you know that's a great run, and Will enjoyed it. Uh, but that was something Will hadn't read, so that definitely wasn't. Right. It, that could have been a bad season where Will was just sort of like, "I don't get it." <laughs> <laughs> just no selling. Yeah. That'd be amazing. Yeah. Stupid. Yeah. This is stupid. Stupid. <laughs> I mean, and- stupid. I hate it. comics. Are dumb. <laughs> comics are real dumb. <laughs> And where the, the uh, boobs? Where are the boobs? <laughs> That's not imitation of Will reading comic books. Yeah, where are the boobs? <laughs> Just wait till nineteen ninety four. Nineteen ninety four is where the boobs show up. Mm. Okay. <laughs> uh, and now uh, you're. This is the. I think I, I've never been more jealous of podcasts than what you're doing right now. But you're going through all the the Claremont X Men. Oh um, yeah. And this is. Is this the first time yes. you are going through them? This is amazing. I love <laughs> We've this. never yeah. read them. That's insanely stupid. I mean, it's like saying, <clears throat> Kevin and I make this joke all the time. It's like, 
We love um, mafia dramas. Oh, we've never seen The Sopranos. We love yeah. everything else. Uh, yeah, we yeah. hear it's good. Uh, yeah, I guess we'll go over The Sopranos on our mafia podcast, our mafia fiction podcast. Uh, I, I, we'll I, see I, what this is like. I mean, I must listen to British pop music. Um, haven't checked out the Beatles yet. Yeah, uh, right. I hear they're good. I hear they're good. I believe they're good. Yeah, we love oh. Liverpool music except for the Beatles. We've never heard them. <laughs> but um, so yeah, we're kind of you know, way, way after the fact, both in terms of when they were published and how long we've been reading, getting into it. And, oh man, is it, I mean, it's so exciting. I can't wait to keep reading them. Like they are so good. It's a, like, it's a really funny uh, story. Like how, so X-Men sales were so bad uh, that they had basically decided to cancel it. um, And they were working off of sales numbers before Neil Adams came in. Um, mm. So they made the decision off of those old sales numbers. Neil Adams comes in, juices the sales of the book. All of a sudden it's hot, but they've already committed. It's like, this is off the schedule, you know? Um, and so they put it into reprints like two or three months from now. Um, and then when they, you know, it's gone into reprints, uh, they get the Neil Adams sales numbers and they're like, oh, well, let's just keep this going for a while. And they basically just kind of put it in cold storage um, and then eventually bring it back in 1975. But um, yeah. But I do think if, if whatever the Neil Adams salvaged version would have been, would have paled in comparison to what it became. So yeah, it, the fresh start that Claremont and Lenwine and uh, Cockrum and Byrne were able to give it is so great. Yeah, It and, desperately uh, needed that. Yeah. Yeah. Roy yeah. Thomas wasn't exactly doing it any favors it was just neil adams suddenly coming in with his art where it looks yeah. like the silver age is over like there's a whole new thing um yeah, so, yeah. yeah. just put neil in a different book and let that yeah. book yeah. get its sales up yeah but neil and yeah. daredevil yeah. yeah well i i mean rob that feels like a very organic transition into talking about this month's <laughs> x-men uh do you want to uh to tell us what was going on with x-men number 64 sure this is called the coming of sunfire um, written by Roy Thomas, art by Don Heck and Tom Palmer. Um, and this one is a fill-in issue with Don Heck as the artist, which is a little bit of a disappointment after a uh, half dozen issues or so of Neil Adams. But it looks like Neil did just the way everything's staged and, and a lot of the mm-hmm. pages. This is like panel breakdowns. Yeah, yeah, it yeah, looks, yeah. It looks like Neil did a, a good amount of the art and Don Heck finished it because I – from what we've seen from Don Heck's Avengers work and stuff, there's no way he did all this stuff from scratch. Uh, Sometimes yeah. I wonder on this stuff, if Don Heck was just told like, do it like Neil. And this mm-hmm. was him doing his Neil Adams impression. Cause sometimes that happens, right. Where like an artist draws an issue and it's nothing like their style. I mean, sound Buscema, Buscema. Mm-hmm. We don't know. Mm-hmm. We just make it up uh, each great. time we yeah. say it. I mean, Whatever you so use. many comic book guys have names that are, they got two ways to say them. I don't know. Like I feel like Kurt, Busek, Busaic, yep. Neil Gaiman, Gaiman, Sa- John Buscema, Buscema, Chip Zartsky. So, I don't know. They if all, they wanted I, us to pronounce their names right, they would work in an audio medium. So, yeah, <laughs> I guess that's true. Yeah, just like that's why we all can pronounce uh, writers of television shows' names correctly. <laughs> <laughs> they work their names into every episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I wondered how much of this was like uh, a ghost art from Neil Adams that he couldn't finish or Don Heck just sort of like aping that style because they're like this is working for us keep it up yeah because i've seen artists like sal like in his later spider-man era where he just changed his style up completely and it was just like because someone was like your art's boring is what he was told so he's like okay i'll do it different 
Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know. If if Don Heck could have done <laughs> I didn't that. Know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you, didn't it's you so read funny. That's how people take the criticism. Hey, you're boring. Am I? Oh. Uh, I'll step it up. Uh, hey, thanks for <laughs> I'm not going to be boring now. Cool. Um yeah, this I mean, I, we've seen Don Heck try to ape well, we've, we've seen a lot of weird things in the last eight years of comics, but like Steranko coming in doing Kirby and then becoming Steranko and then people, mm-hmm. Neil Adams coming in and doing a version of Steranko. And, you know, you can see these little handoffs like a weird <laughs> relay race. Um, but it, I haven't seen Don Heck show up this big before. So they That's must have okay. really given him the, you know, like you you've got to do it like neil adams or you know yeah or there were layups like you yeah. guys were guessing yep yep um so i'll i'll be i'll do a run through of of the basic summary you can jump in wherever we can talk about it if you feel like you're you know we're hitting it and you don't have anything to comment on that's okay but please please comment at will i'll speak up the moment i think you're screwing up in any way whatsoever awesome that's what i'll, I probably, like. I'll probably walk away that's what I, mm-hmm. I'll come back later. Come back chewing gum. Just yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, so at least uh, we do have Tom Palmer doing the inking this uh, um, this month. So that also helps tie the room together with uh, Neil out. So uh, the splash page that opens the issue introduces us to Sunfire, and he is random. I love Sunfire, man. I love this character. I, I has he ever been in comics a lot? Because he was in Giant Size X Men, and then. X Men, whatever that ninety four or whatever, and then he's he's out. Like yeah, he's, yeah. He, he he comes back like now and then later. But I love this guy. Yeah, he has a. I remember my brother and I seeing the costumes. Uh, I think in ninety four of Sunfire and getting introduced and look, you know, reading back through this stuff, and we were just, um, we thought his costume was so cool, and it's pretty cool to begin with. It's not your normal villain costume. Um, I wonder who designed him. I wonder if Neil Adams designed it or if someone that's else. That's a good did. question. I think I think Heck gets the credit for it just because he was the artist on the first issue. But um, it doesn't it, seem like it a does heck. not look like a Don <laughs> Heck design. Yeah, it's too much going on for a Heck design. But, uh, <laughs> so so we've got Sunfire, and maybe we should give a shot at describing his. Uh, Brian, do you want to try to describe his costume? Yeah, he so he's got a, a very strong like rising sun motif uh, with so he, he's wearing basically a red bodysuit. Uh, he's got like white rays um, kind of coming up from his belly button, um, <laughs> uh, and uh, and on his uh, on his boots and his gloves and uh, his mask, which is sort of like a kabuki mask. Uh, he's got uh, yellow flames, so. Um, so that is actually on the nose enough that I might believe that this is a Don Heck costume. Uh, it's like, <laughs> we, we've got a, a Japanese, uh, superhero and, uh, his name's Sunfire. It's like, I got it. I'm going to, it's going to be done in one. <laughs> you uh, describing so- that costume, which you described it well. And it does look, costume does look good, but that description makes it sound terrible. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot going the on. Sun, sun on his chest, fire on his gloves and boots. Next. Yeah. <laughs> It's uh, it, it shouldn't work, but somehow it does. Um, and it is like very like Japanese pro wrestler, like uh, very kabuki theme. Um, it's yeah, it's it's a really cool outfit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so uh, Sunfire is appears and he's ranting about ants so much that you <laughs> expect like Hank Pym to show up on the next page. But mm-hmm. so, uh, and you you were just mentioning you've been reading through 
the Chris Claremont's X-Men for the first time. And, and what did you think of Sunfire showing back up there? I mean, I loved him. I wanted him to stay in the X-Men. Kevin? Yeah, he was great. I thought he was great. He was a, I think the, I can't, I don't know why they don't have him in the book other than like between him, Wolverine and, and, um, uh, the, uh, the, the native American character, they had three sort of angry loners. Yeah. But he was great. He's really fun. Yeah. Too many angry loners is, is, is a group. That's, I mean, that's my alone. wild guess yeah. that they're just like had one quit and killed one and kept Wolverine. <laughs> yeah. And I, that worked out, I guess. It's uh, like they were auditioning all of them. <laughs> yes. Uh, so, so the X-Men pick up Sunfire on their mini Cerebro mutant detector. Um, and he, they've, say he might be the most powerful mutant they've ever met <laughs> uh, and uh, thunderbird hyperbo- kevin Thun- thunderbird's the name of that thunderbird, uh, yeah. we were yeah the hyperbole in marvel comics is ridiculous there's a moment where angel swoops down to catch somebody he goes i've got to fly harder than i ever have and i'm like i don't think so just you fly- you must have flown harder than this <laughs> <laughs> just even in the danger room like so and yeah uh so sunfire is headed for the un where um japan's united nations delegate mr yoshida is dedicating a marble monument to the youth of the world <laughs> um sunfire interrupts the ceremony calls yoshida a traitor and then blasts the statue to smithereens um the x-men show up to bring sunfire to justice but he gets away um sunfire whose name we learn is shiro yoshida returns to his uncle who has been stoking his anger over the atomic bombing of hiroshima so the bombing made shiro's mother an invalid and she died giving birth to him it's a pretty pretty big you know origin story you're yeah you're pretty pretty heavy yeah yeah <laughs> if you're bringing yeah. in an atomic you know, bomb on yeah if- i you know what but i kind of love it mm-hmm. and especially yeah. in 1970 like the Vietnam War is, you know, raging in America and people getting drafted and sent to a war that is, I don't know exactly how to describe what it was like at the time because I was not born, but um, controversial and, and and scary at least. And then the memory of World War II, I, you know, God, it's got to be pretty fresh, right? It's 25 years before. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of gutsy for Marvel to go after it. I mean, it would sort of, it would sort of be like, I don't know, 25 years before now. Um, I don't know. It'd be like doing something about 9-11, not, not too far off of doing like a 9-11, like an Arabic son who's mad at America or something or something like mm-hmm. that. Or, and I don't know. It's, it's, it's pretty real. It's, it's uh, as a heroic character. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, it's more gutsy than what is happening with the monocle over an FF, you know, who's <laughs> at, at the United Nations, Yeah, but yes. this is sort of more politi- politically gutsy. Yeah, yeah, this yeah. is the and and emotional. Yeah. It's the kind of villain you can sort of sympathize with. Like you see mm-hmm. where he's coming from emotionally, even if you know that he's that he's gone down the uh, dark path. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. It's a it's it's such a f- well rounded, you know, dimensional villain for for what we see and a progressive story. So um, we get. Uh, it turns out that uh, his mother's exposure to the radiation. Um, of the atomic blast is likely what made him a mutant in the first place. And this is one of the places where we, we get that reference. Like it's been a while since they've referred to the mutations of X-Men possibly having an atomic nature. Um, so 
he, which has sort of gone away now, right? It's now it's just like a genetic thing. Like it would have happened regardless of how they play it in comics a lot. Yeah. 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 And even the here, children of the atom are like a name only. Almost. Yes. Yeah. It's, I, th- I think it's that, that sliding time scale, you know, it's yeah. like people just aren't getting exposed to radiation the way they used to. <laughs> it's too bad. Uh, so Sunfire is out for revenge against America, of course, for the atomic bombing of his hometown and the death of his mother. So, uh, so when we see the UN delegate, um, we see Saburo Yoshida, uh, boarding a plane to DC with his brother and Shiro Yoshida, his son. So Saburo doesn't know his son is Sunfire who destroyed the statue that he was dedicating. Um, yeah, it's, it's a nice twist and he doesn't know that his own brother is turning his son against him. Um, yeah, I, I love it. When I got to this, I realized like, Ooh. X Men. Maybe we didn't need the Claremont Burn X Men because this one. <laughs> this is the this setup. Pretty hot. Yeah. <laughs> I would say I had I did I had to go back and look at this panel because for a while I thought the brother or the uncle was in his mind because like the panels oh. are all so extreme close ups. I was like, I, I, he's not in a lot of panels, and we're just you see word bubbles coming out, and when his dad like bursts in him in a few pages, I was like, wait, is this guy really in the room? I can't even tell. I had to go back and check. I was like. I guess he's real. It's just the devil. But I started going like a fight club. Uh, I had a fight club version <laughs> of the story going on in my head. Yeah. <laughs> if that was happening in this issue, it, it would be so far above the other issues in terms of narrative ambition. <laughs> yeah. It would be so funny. Yeah. A huge swing. Uh, so, yeah. Um, uh, the, yeah, they go on the plane. Then the, the X-Men follow the Yoshidas to DC and Angel um, almost gets sucked sucked into the jet engine. Uh, he seems to have forgotten about how jets work. Uh, and uh, it's like a Johnny Storm kind of move. Um, and then in DC... That's a rich kid move. You know, Angel's a rich kid. He doesn't have the street smarts of somebody like Cyclops. Cyclops, you know, on the street, you learn about jet That's engines. That's true. Up in that prep school, you never learn about how you shouldn't hang on to the bottom of a plane. Uh, yep, exactly. And so uh, in DC... Uh, Saburo catches Shiro changing into his Sunfire costume and vowing to avenge Japan. He smacks his son across the face and tells him to cut <laughs> it out. Um, the Yoshidas enter the capital. Shiro's uncle runs interference for him while Shiro changes into Sunfire and tries to destroy the capital. Um, this was also really weird to see this attack on the capital after the sort of <laughs> year we yeah. had. Yeah. Um, so this was all hitting home like uh, it felt this all felt so real and even more progressive based on the terrible, bizarre comic book life like reality. Yeah. Um, the X-Men intercept him and Cyclops manages to deflect Shiro's blast with his eye beams, saving the capital. Uh, they're almost matched for power. Saburo Yoshida steps forward to help Cyclops and his brother shoots him. Sunfire blasts his uncle, reaches his father just in time to tell him that he didn't mean for any of this to happen. Saburo tells Shiro to live for the future, not the past, and then he dies. And he's got one more line. His his last words are like <laughs> insanely fitting last words. Forge the tools of peace from the chains, small letters, of war. <laughs> I mean, uh it's a nice message, but it's kind of like I would feel like the sun should look up and be like, damn, nice death. Yeah. <laughs> You've been sitting on that? You crushed just waiting it. to say it? Yeah. yeah. Like, Oof. You got to sit on a good death line. That, yeah. yeah. At the buzzer. Nice. Yeah. I guess that's the lesson, everybody. Get your yeah. death line ready and just wait. Oh, this last page is crazy. 
They just leave him mourning in silence for like two and a half panels. For a 1960s Marvel comic to have a panel that does not have any words in it is like, I can't think of this the issue's last good. time we've seen this. And yeah. This is also a lot of panels on this page for yep. a 1960s Marvel comic. This is what, seven panels? That's a lot. Yeah. Well, this is also getting to what you were talking about earlier, Kevin, where it's like they realize it's like, oh, we got to wrap this up. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. But it's seven panels. Like yeah. mm-hmm. this comic has a few more panels than some of the other ones. And I think yeah. it gets away with it by like, there's no backgrounds and there's all these extreme close ups, which while this comic is good, there are so many blasts of ice from off panel. <laughs> um, and just like things where it's, it's so like there's two times where Iceman shoots from off panel that I didn't even know he was there. Yeah. These <laughs> are then, where I think Don Heck was, was winging it. He didn't have Neil Adams. Helping <laughs> <him setting that laughs> up. Cause Neil there Adams can tell a story visually really well. And he would have divided these pages up into more action that somehow like geometrically related to what was going on. Yeah. He's just got yeah. all these talents and and i think some of this is just where heck's like oh yeah we got to have something save this guy that's what it says in the margin here so there's an ice blast from off panel and yeah there's there's an infamous uh avengers issue from a few years earlier that that heck drew um where the cliffhanger is that like in the very last page wasp gets shot and she's at death's door um and they have to explain with dialogue that that's what happened because there's no you don't see the gun going off you don't see her getting shot you just have someone explaining that she's been shot oh my gosh yeah it's uh he was a work in progress it is crazy to think this is the same guy who wrote this wrote the avengers issue we also read where this just uh uh, i don't know it this flows a lot better yes this feels like stan was paying attention to it too um like this stan asked for some of this uh, you know, that's that's a guess, but um, yeah, based on mm-hmm. the stuff we've or read, yeah, or Roy was more interested in this one, in like the same sense as like Stan is doing like half the books, Roy's doing half the books, he's gonna put more time into one or two of them, probably the ones he's more excited about, and sort of be like, and then in the Avengers, we have these Zodiac people, <laughs> whatever, yeah, <laughs> <And, laughs> yep. that's. And that's that. Yeah. yeah. It, well, and, and I mean, Roy was the big World War II fan. Like, uh, you know, that's he, he comes right. back to World War II again and again and again. So the fact that like he may have been really excited about doing this story, you know, with sort of the aftermath of the atomic bomb, um, that totally tracks. So, yeah. And then we get to um, the end of this. This is definitely a Roy Thomas passion project. I'm looking up on Sunfire's Wikipedia page and uh-huh. he'd been wanting to add a character whose mother had been in Hiroshima and that had like emotionally, you know, set him on a path and Stan rejected it at first, but then he had more authority over it at this point. And so he put it in there and he's not mentioning Don Heck. He's talking about doing it with Neil Adams. So even though Don Heck gets uh-huh. the credit, I, yep. I bet you this was a Roy and Neil um, idea. Yeah, nice. and, yeah and wonder, but but Roy, but Roy being the impetus, it looks like even right, looking right. through this real quick, like certain pages have like a lot more Neil Adams like panel layouts and some don't. So I wonder if it was like a half finished issue. Very much, yeah. yeah. Um, or just like they had Neil Adams layouts for half of it, and then like yeah. Don Heck was handed those, um, with the character design for Sunfire or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you're probably right about that. Um, all right. So uh, let's go ahead and take a break, um, and we will continue on with the uh, Marvel Comics of November 1969 in just a minute here on Marvel by the Month. Mm-hmm. 
All right, welcome back to Marvel by the Month. We're going to talk about Amazing Spider-Man number 81 now. Uh, this one's called The Coming of the Kangaroo. <laughs> uh, this, this lots, lots of guys coming this month. Uh, there's The Coming of Sunfire, The Coming of Kangaroo. This is... They need they need a different different phrase uh, <laughs> that shows up again and again and again. Uh, this one's written by Stan Lee. The art's by John Buscema, uh, inked by Jim Mooney. Um, so our month of A-list debuts uh, continues with the first appearance of the Kangaroo, which is again um, not the last I, appearance. This this always happened in early Marvel. No, and probably like wait, yeah. this character recurs. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you guys also brought us on like fill-in month, right? Because. Uh, this isn't a Ramita book. We don't get Neil Adams. We don't get John Ramita. Oh, yeah, so. you're right. Busema is, yeah, he's penciling this one. Well, Weird. anyway, I'm mad. Yeah. <laughs> Me too. Feels like, I'm a, feels like a slight against us. So <laughs> I don't know. As soon as I get emotions, I'm going to let you guys have it. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. Fair enough. We've been warned. Um, so, uh, so you guys, uh, you, you've gone through um, the Ditko Spidey's uh what's your familiarity with like the Ramita era of Spider-Man which we are still in even though he didn't do this one yeah like Kevin was saying once once the essential collections came out and whenever that was the late 90s um where they had those you know pretty inexpensive black and white kind of newspaper uh reprints of tons of issues we got those and he and I each read a bunch of Ramitas then Mm -hmm. but I think I definitely got bored and stopped. I think I might have made it to 100. I like pushed to 100 and then mm-hmm. then lost steam after that. And uh you know his stuff looks so good. I can't put my finger on what's missing, but I just I don't know. I just got tired of the puncher of the month mm-hmm. right. coming when up does, against Spidey. When does the Have you guys had the Lifestone tablet saga? Has that happened? Oh, oh yes. Wow. Yeah, we we that almost did me in. That almost did me in. I think whatever volume of Essential that was in was the last volume I read. Yeah. Because I got so bored during that sequence. Um, and it was just like, oh, I think I'm bored by all of these. <laughs> <laughs> that makes perfect sense. We were slogging through that and it seemed like 100 issues unto itself. Just that arc. Yeah. Yes. Um, I've definitely read lots of best subs and things like this. So I've definitely read random issues that have come after this. I don't know if I read this issue before it did mm-hmm. not read I'm not sure the kangaroo well, we'll say this i think it is dumb but i loved it absolutely i mean that was my takeaway from it uh it is every now and then you just get uh a a new villain and an origin story that is just so off the wall uh yeah so it, anyway the story begins with spidey uh he's frant- frantically swinging toward penn station love the uh, splash because, page yep uh, Aunt May's train is arriving. She's coming back from an extended visit to Florida. Um, he's he's drenched in sweat when she sees him, which of course is enough to convince her that he is sickly and in need of mothering attention. Um, and but also on this train uh, is the villain of our piece, the kangaroo, who is being escorted by a pair of law enforcement agents. Um, when they try to put the cuffs on him, he breaks free and escapes. Um, Did they say his real name in this book? Mm-mm. Nope. Cool. cool. <laughs> no, he's the kangaroo. Uh, everyone, yeah, that's what everyone calls him. Um, uh, Peter, of course, can't pursue him because Aunt May is right there. Um, so the kangaroo bounds up the stairs to freedom, uh, and then we get the secret origin of the kangaroo. Oh, nice. uh, funny. Yeah. So uh, here, here's the secret origin. Uh, he lived in Australia. He hung out with kangaroos. Uh, <laughs> he acted like them and eventually he was able to jump like them he ate what they <laughs> ate i love it i loved that he too. ate what they um, ate 
Yeah. Uh, what I really love about this story is that, like it becomes immediately obvious that no one involved in the production of this issue like did any research into kangaroos or Australia at all. It's just in the <laughs> most like vague and ill-defined. Uh, yeah, it's great. <laughs> He's also uh, jumping in dress shoes often. It's that's impressive mm-hmm. enough. It is, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't, I, I don't remember kangaroos having big barrel chests like this guy. Has. He's got a lot of upper body strength. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but I guess kangaroos do box, and he's a boxer. Yeah, sure, and 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 that's where his uh, his story gets off the rails. Uh, where um, <laughs> he he uh, he he becomes a boxer. Uh, he immediately kicks an opponent um, uh, in the head, potentially seriously injuring him. Um, so rather than deal with the consequences of that, uh, he flees the country without a passport. He gets caught Imagine in America. Imagine watching a <laughs> boxing match. The guy leaps up in the air, kicks the other guy. Already this is crazy. The guy dies, and the guy leaps out of yeah, the arena. everyone, yeah. It would be... Oh man, that would be the best boxing match to watch ever. <laughs> he, conservatively speaking, he jumps out of the ring over five rows of people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and that's that's He's a still way in the air there. Yep, I think you know. So, but yeah. it's hard to say from where our camera is on this shot. But yeah, he's he's he can leap. This guy can leap more than <sighs> uh, further than I believe an actual kangaroo can leap. So. Did you watch yes. that pay-per-view boxing match last night? Uh, how was it? I don't know. The guy at the end leaped away. <laughs> he just kicked a guy in the head. It was supposed to be boxing. And killed him. Um, <laughs> he kicked someone to death and then leaped out of the arena. <laughs> well, and, and what I love about this, That's too, all is... in Australia, though. It's like, ah, good fight, <laughs> <Yeah>. eh? Uh, <laughs> I can't do it. Uh, well, it is, and it, it's they go out of their way to say that his opponent might be seriously injured. Like, you know, they... Like he's, I, he didn't kill him. Like he's, you know, so he, he's just, he's completely overreacting to the situation. Right. Um, right. And, and the kangaroo, like one of the things that's really impressive about him is how grossly he just escalates the situation from bad to worse the entire course of this comic. Um, uh, like he is just doubling down on making a situation that is not great, but not bad. Uh, just so much worse. And he is, not even close to being done yet. Um, so, uh, meanwhile, we cut to uh, Aunt May. Uh, she has basically kidnapped Peter. She's made him mm. stay at her place instead of his own apartment so she can take care of him. Um, and then we get uh, a another flashback panel uh, showing Peter as a child and Aunt May uh, exactly as old as she is today, <laughs> which like this like confirms our suspicion that Aunt May is some sort of lich or something. Um, <laughs> she's just been yeah, like she's eternal and ancient. I wish that flashback had her with a speech bone that said, "Now you know, you stay dry, dear. I've got to get to my 28th <laughs> birthday party. <laughs> <laughs> There's wheat cakes in the fridge. Yeah. I love that panel of her putting his raincoat on him. It's very sweet. It is. Um, also, so as a that- kid, I always wondered how old Peter was when his parents died. Like, and you know, you eventually learn through flashbacks, super young, because he basically was, you know, all of his memories are with mm-hmm. Ben and May. Yeah. Yep. Um. Yeah. So you know, she's she's going to continue doting on him uh, if it's the last thing she does. Uh, so we cut back to the kangaroo, um, who now, uh, is stalking some security guards who are transporting some deadly live bacteria. Uh, <laughs> and Kanga doesn't know what it is. He just figures he just, he just wants money. And yeah, and so if you want to, if you want to rob somebody with money, go after some cops. They carry a ton of cash. <laughs> 
and easy, they're easy, easy to knock down. Nobody, no mm-hmm. consequences. Yep. And they got tons of cash. Yeah. He's gotten better at kicking people not to death. At least he just knocks yep. them down. Practice. Yeah. Good for yeah. him. Uh, yeah. He, he jumps them. He steals the thing and then he takes it out of its protective canister and sticks it in his vest because his it must vest. be jewels his or something. His fur vest has front <laughs> pockets, which is nice. Uh, All uh, Spider-Man villains have pockets. Yep. Yep. It's a, it's a practical outfit. Uh, so I just want to kind of like just pause a second here and let's just talk about the escalation here of, of the kangaroos law uh, breaking. So, so he started with an illegal maneuver in a sporting event, right? That's right. Um, which I mean, it's probably going to result in like, he, he, if he doesn't kill the guy, it's probably going to be what, like a suspension and a yes. fine. <laughs> like that's probably the extent of it. Yeah. Um, then he violates immigration law. By fleeing yeah. the country without a passport and crossing mm-hmm. a border illegally, and on which, the run for manslaughter, and right, uh, and, and but that like like crossing a border illegally is actually just a misdemeanor. Like it's actually not as you know for all the rhetoric, like it's not that big of a, like a legal um, issue. Uh, but then he assaults and he flees law enforcement, uh, who's <laughs> trying to deport him. That's definitely a felony. Yeah. Decides um, to become a criminal because why not? <laughs> He's been forced into it, Kevin. Yeah, yeah. If the world wants the kangaroo to be a criminal, then mm-hmm. he'll be one. Yeah, and then and if then they he, insist like, on treating him like a criminal, just because he has committed a series of crimes on purpose, <laughs> that's right. Uh, yeah, uh, and yeah, and and then he goes and, and like he fully intends to commit grand larceny and assault. Uh, so there's you know, there are at least a pair of felonies. Um, and then he winds up stealing an incredibly deadly live bacteria, which is going to result in like thousands and thousands of deaths if it is plus exposed he, to the air. Plus he so. crushes every car he jumps on. That's a, yeah. Which is a, a lot, lot of property cars. damage. Yeah. A lot of cars. <laughs> Imagine going back to your parked car in New York and the hood is just the, the top of your car is crushed in. <laughs> oh, I'd be furious. <laughs> and, and if, you, you, if you really heads up, you notice that every other car on the street is also is also crushed in. Yeah. Yeah. You just know, you know, the kangaroo has yeah. been there. Yeah. <laughs> we, we soon get to the best subplot in all of comics, which is uh, <laughs> oh, Spidey God. having to sneak out of the house of that Aunt May knowing and kind of Ferris Bueller, like leaving a little dummy of what could web to fool her. Uh, he would have been better off leaving an empty yeah. bed. <laughs> I showed that panel of the, uh, when, when May discovers the, uh, the Spidey, um, Ferris Bueller dummy. Uh, I showed this to my wife, Barb and just the panel. And she's like, did Peter prank aunt May with just a bed full of pubes? (laughs) And um, (laughs) so he made like a, a pube dummy in, in there. And uh, it's, it's like taking Ferris Bueller way to a jackass level that it should not be. Yeah. Yeah, it's just a waste of web fluids. He's got yeah. pillows. Yeah, exactly. He could just like bunch up some blankets. It would have been fine. He's gonna have to sleep in those dissolved web fluid <laughs> webs that don't dissolve. I guess when he makes dummies out of them. Right. Apparently. Um. So yeah. So he he heads out after the kangaroo. Uh. Who he finds shaking down some folks for cash. So again, just like doubling, tripling, quadrupling down. Um, and he has to fight him very carefully to avoid smashing the vial and unleashing a plague. I like that aspect. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that's the, a, 
It's the only reason that Spidey would have any difficulty with a guy who can jump. I like (laughs) when the fight is more than just a fight and there's just like a little angle to it. So it's like, oh, I don't want to jostle this deadly virus out of his vest pocket. (laughs) I I dig it. Yeah. I got a question for you. Sure. Page uh, six. Spider-Man is the one in red and blue. (laughs) Okay, that's it. That's it. Thank you. (laughs) This makes more sense now. I thought that was the kangaroo. (laughs) Page 16. Uh, page, page 16, panel three, there's a close-up of uh, Spidey's wrist shooting some web fluid. Uh, you think we need that for the story? You think um, <laughs> otherwise we're not going to know where the web fluid comes from that he's swinging in the next panel? Kevin? Um, I do think we need it. He, I, I, this is going to be crazy. I do. I, th- I don't like when you just, like I was complaining about like the Avengers book and a little bit with the X-Men book when like things just sort of happen. Like if the next panel, he's, if you went from falling to all of a sudden swinging up, you're missing like uh, the, the, the moment where that switches. Like I want to see him catch himself a little bit. Okay. I think it does it. It keeps it flowing. I retract my snark. He should use two fingers. That's his normal move. I don't know why he's just the one middle finger. That seems harder. He's got a pulse that <laughs> thing in his wrist or something. Yeah. Yeah. That's tough on the tendons. This is much easier. Oh, his fingers. Now we're all (laughs) trying it. Uh, This, this is making difficult audio. This is easy. So Spidey and and Kangaroo are fighting Uh, back at Aunt May. She goes to check on Peter. She discovers the quite frankly, horrifying web dummy um, and immediately just like collapses from shock. Yeah. Uh, I think his Aunt May would come in and check on him if he's sick. At least poke her head in the room and see the web. Uh, I know, I know. Peter. I mean, in his defense, does he think she's going to fall and have a heart attack when she sees it? Like, yes. it is an extreme reaction. She frequently yes. has heart attacks. She is constantly <laughs> in peril. Like, a, a breeze can take out Aunt May. Yeah. He talked about it earlier in this comic that she's had uh, health problems. But she's been alive since the early 1600s. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> sure, sure. She has had no virgin blood for quite a while. Yeah. She's like she Agatha Harkness's right. like sewing yeah. circle buddy. Oh, my she God. She is unkillable. I forget that. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. So uh, Spidey finally gets the vial away from the kangaroo by swinging around and leg locking him over a rooftop and grabbing the falling vial with his web. I mean, both these guys are phenomenally irresponsible <laughs> people. Um, at least the kangaroo has the excuse of not knowing how dangerous it was and also being incredibly stupid. Yeah. Uh, but but Spidey knew exactly what he was doing here. Eh, uh, he thinks about it. He thinks I've got to do this. Otherwise, it's going to break anyway. I got to make this happen. He this is all part of his plan. Spidey's a pro. I, 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 I'm all on. I'm all in on this issue. OK, I don't know. This, this story this is, is not maybe one of the best 10 best Amazing Spider-Man issues ever. I mean, <laughs> That's so insane. Um, I this issue makes me think that JJJ has been right all along. Yeah, this is a menace. Uh. And and Kangaroo it gets away. Like Spidey doesn't even manage to uh, you know capture him. Uh, and Spidey returns the vial, uh, but he's still viewed with suspicion, maybe rightly so. And then he returns uh, to find Aunt May passed out. Uh, so he gets rid of the web dummy. Um, he he gaslights her when she comes Ugh. to. Uh, and he inadvertently convinces her that she's starting to lose her mind. So, yeah. Um, At least he feels bad about that. He does feel bad about it's it. Classic yeah. Peter. Um, Just, yeah. Yeah. Usually the gimmick of a Spider-Man story is that like Spidey can win, but Peter has to lose or, you know, Peter can win, but Spidey has to mm-hmm. lose. And like, I feel like neither one of them really came out of this one looking <laughs> great. Um, like, I, I feel Spidey, like this is, Spidey has a tie and Peter loses. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. 
Well, so that's our, our comics uh, that we're going to cover this episode. Um, and the last thing we do um, is just do uh, a quick recommendation of things that were not Marvel Comics from November 1969, some stuff that we've been reading on the side uh, that we think our listeners might be interested in. So um, I'll go ahead and start us off. Uh, and uh, so this is kind of in the spirit of uh, the Heinz Brothers' very good idea to do a podcast uh revisiting the comics they loved growing up. Um, I'm going to uh, recommend a series that I loved in my teenage years. I am just revisiting right now. Um, and that is Quasar, uh, written by mm. Mark Grunewald. Um, the art was initially done by Paul Ryan and Danny Belandi. Um, so Mark Grunewald was one of those writers who he would kind of, his gimmick was that he would find some messy continuity situation, um, in Marvel comics. Um, and he would, basically write a story that fixed it. Um, so like the character Mobius uh, from the Loki TV show is based on Mark Gruenwald. Um, he wound up being an executive editor at Marvel um, years later. Um, but uh, that's basically how Quasar started out. Uh, but he also had this knack for telling like some pretty down to earth superhero stories. Um, uh, and he also tried to fill like every single square inch of every panel with words. Uh, so it hasn't totally, uh, aged super great, but, um, but yeah, like Quasar is sort of the inheritor of Captain Marvel's, uh, cosmic protector mantle. Uh, his powers are sort of like the Marvel version of green lantern. Did he get the um, negabands, the actual, he got, negabands he got, no, thing? Okay. he got similar to those, okay. but not the same ones. Exactly. Um, Yes. I mean, maybe this is just nostalgia talking, but honestly, I think like I'm about 10 issues into this um, and I feel like the series has held up really, really well um, 30 years later. Um, and the first 28 issues around Marvel Unlimited, um, that'll take you from 1989 to 1994. Um, and I'm going to say that is probably enough. I don't think you need to read too much more Quasar <laughs> after that. But uh, but yeah, the, the first 10 issues so far have been a blast and I'm really enjoying going back to them. Well, um, I am doing a, uh, well, I'm doing two things. I, when we're talking to Brevoir, I'm doing, as we talk to comics creators and they mention things, I read like sort of the important mo big comics they talk about love and rockets and things like that. But I also have been just reading whatever, like our, like Brian will recommend someone, uh, a, something new. And so I just diverge totally from Marvel and go read some crazy comics that are more in the vein of the vertigo comics that made me re-love comics so much when I was younger. So, uh, I'll recommend something from the recent stack and this is, um, we've referred to it, but we haven't recommended it. it's department of truth by James Tinian, the fourth, uh, and Martin Simmons. This first collection was such a, a great read and it's a new twist on that, uh, that well that I thought had been run dry. It's, uh, but now it seems infinitely deep again. It's the idea of, I don't want to spoil everything, but it's, it's like, I'll do, so I'll do the hodgepodge of things that it's like, um, it's like X-Files meets QAnon with some sort of American God's angle in there about the power and danger of belief. Um, and the art is, is like crazy Bill Senkowitz style that drives the mood, um, of kinetic you know, paranoia home. And I just, uh, I also just finished all the trades of something is killing the children, which Brian had already <sighs> recommended also so by Tinian. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so it, it's a, it's totally different art style with by Werther Del Edra, um, or Del Edera. And, and it's, I, so I, I, I like, you know, texted 
uh, Brian and Jamie was like, Hey, my hot take is this Tinian guy is a, uh, he's pretty good at these comics. Um, he also won already won best writer, uh, Eisner this year. So, um, you know, I think maybe I'm, I'm behind the curve, but, uh, I'm going to figure out what these kids are into, you know, this new <laughs> stuff. So it's great. I highly recommend, uh, you know, pretty much anything he's written. He's done a great run on Batman as well. And, um, and it's very nice that we've broken things up a little bit here on Marvel by the month. So I'm not reading 15 or 20 titles a week and can read other comics. Yeah. How about his, that? Huh? His boom series, the woods is really good too. Yeah. I've picked that up, but I haven't read it yet. It's on yeah. my, it's on like, my poll list. Yeah. I haven't read department of truth, but I read the woods and something is killing the children is oh, so good. Department yeah. of truth. I I'd heard enough about that. I was like, I don't know if it's going to be that good. It seems like, you know, well-trod material, but it, it really did pull an, a new angle on it. Yeah, hmm. for sure. Uh, Will, Kevin, is there anything uh, particular that you have read or watched recently that you would uh, throw out there as something that you think folks who are into this nonsense would also be interested in? Kevin, what do you think? Um, I got something. Why don't you but go? You haven't, but you haven't read it. Uh, I'm going to recommend... Uh, Kyle Starks is a writer artist. I think he writes the Rick and Morty uh, comic book adaptions, which I have not read, but the stuff he writes and draws himself, I think are really fun. They are like eighties move eighties action movies, tongue firmly placed in cheek. And they are a blast. He wrote one called sex castle. Uh, (laughs) It's about like a guy named sex castle uh, who is basically, you know, commando or um, Cobra or whatever you want it to be in an action movie. Uh, he also wrote one called Kill Them All, uh, which is about an uh, ex-cop and like an assassin who both invade the same building to kill all the bad guys in that building at the same time. That's a blast. That was the first one I read. <laughs> That's a blast. And I just read Old Head, which is about a <laughs> basketball player who um, was mostly known as like a thug in the game. He was like the sort of basketball player who was always just knocking people over and hurting people. That's all he's good at is hurting people. And he finds out his mom used to hunt vampires and uh, he gets kind of sucked into hunting these vampires that are uh, taking over the town. Now that his mom has passed on, he has to go to the town and realizes there's no one stopping these vampires anymore. So this old basketball player has to take it down. And it (laughs) is so fun. So Kyle Starks, those are the three. uh, Those are three books. Any one of those. Try any of those. They're great. Those are comics. Those are like original graphic novels. Yeah, they're mm-hmm. like uh, whatever, 60 pages, 80 pages. I don't know what the, how long they are. They read fast. They're one sitting, uh, but they are uh, collections almost. So they weren't single issues. I think they were just original graphic novels. Cool. Outstanding. Um, I have not read anything outside of what I have been assigned to read for my comics podcast and this one. I have not watched any superhero stuff outside of very mainstream things like Suicide Squad and and Black Widow and stuff. So I'm going to recommend a documentary I saw, nothing to do with comics, but it's called Untold Crimes and Practices. It's about a minor league hockey team that a mafia guy bought for his 17-year-old son. And the 17-year-old son managed them to be deliberate fight-starting, rule-breaking bad boys <laughs> and they became a hit of this minor league. But the reason I was recommended it is it takes place in mine and Kevin's hometown of Danbury, Connecticut. 
And I never had heard of this story. I never huh. knew there was a an ice rink in our town, much, much less a minor league hockey franchise. Wow. And um, it's a 90 minute, really fun in and out doc. Uh, I guess I'll, I'll very tenuously tie it to this podcast by saying it's like some real life supervillains, but they're fun. Untold, untold crime and penalties. It's what you call a, uh, a superior foes, a Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. There, there you go. go. Thank you. Yeah. Goon squad. Yeah. Goon squad. Yeah, it's like slap shot in real life. Awesome. Well, Will, Kevin, thank you so much uh, for joining us. Uh, we went long and you guys were total troopers. Uh, what can we plug for you guys uh, before we let you go here? Well, let's see. Uh, MASH, TV show I like a lot. Um, <laughs> good, mm-hmm. good. I don't think it's streaming anywhere, but find it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, our podcast is called Screw It. We're just going to talk about comics. That's what we'd like you to to check out. Um, we, yeah. we talk about the comics we love. We're doing um, we're doing a season of guests where we interview people right now, and we're also doing uh, Chris Claremont's X Men. And then uh, we're going to be doing Dark Knight Returns uh, after that. Awesome. Yeah. I- little little known indie Batman comic. <laughs> yeah. Those are those going to be four fun episodes uh, to listen to. Absolutely. Yeah. I uh, I grew up in the town over from Frank Miller uh, in Vermont. So I had mm. friends who went to the high school that he went to and there was a a mural done by like a 16 year old Frank Miller in their high school, which is pretty badass. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. That's crazy. That's pretty awesome. Well, you, I have to say I have listened to three full episodes of your podcast <laughs> which is three which more is episodes of anything wow. yeah I, I, I barely listened oh, I, to I, I, we're honestly we really honestly I, and I, it's hilarious nice. i i love um your take i was you know drawn to the alpha flight debut on in the x-men run yeah um really fun issue so uh i i would recommend it it's like uh especially for people who like and can get through the geekiness of what we do here how you talk about it and the and the commentary is very very funny to me so uh, oh, it's like, oh, a, it's like a, a breath of fresh air compared to this thing <laughs> <laughs> you guys are very funny i i'm uh, i'm flattered that that you're paying attention to us in any way oh. yeah we, we 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 try to make our we try we make fun of the stuff that needs to be made fun of but not in a way that diminishes how fun all these comics are even the bad comics uh yeah, uh, they're bad because yeah. of the era they came out in more than they're bad, and we because we're not covering the real bad ones. So yeah, I don't know. Like the monocle is a fun comic. I don't know if yeah. you if you read you could do a lot worse than that monocle issue. If you're <laughs> reading FF worse. comics, why would you skip that issue? Right. You would. Yeah, that's not you the wouldn't. one you're going to skip. No, no, no. Um, we we got plenty of those coming up. But, not <laughs> that one. but thank you for Rob says does who doesn't listen to podcasts listen to three episodes of ours. Well, I think that yep. is a huge, huge compliment. Yeah, Let's put that in the tagline. I gave you like a, <laughs> a a extended cut. You know, one of the Lord of the Rings movies amount of time so far. Yeah, yeah, so far that's huge. I'm not saying I'm I'm not going to be a regular listener. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're not going to count. It. We won't speak to you in the episodes directly. We won't count on that. <laughs> outstanding well thanks again guys um and uh folks uh if you have gotten this far um you might want to subscribe to our patreon uh for the fantastic price of four bucks a month uh patreon.com slash marvel by the month you will get exclusive content uh including an extended version of this episode um you can also review us on apple Podcasts, whatever you use to listen to us uh, if you would like to get some free stuff in the mail, you can send us a screenshot of your five-star review to marvelbythemonth at gmail.com. 
Uh, Instagram is our main social channel. You can find us there at Marvel by the Month, and MarvelbytheMonth.com has links to our other social channels as well as our shop. Uh, so that is all for now. Uh, take care of yourselves. Get vaccinated if you're not vaccinated already. Wear a mask even if you are. And above all, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay inside and read comics. Mm-hmm.